So what I want to do right now is I want to read the passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, and then uh, we will jump in and get to work. So 1 Peter chapter 2. In fact, I'm going to pick it up at verse uh, 22 of 1 Peter chapter 1. So we'll kind of pick up a little bit what we looked at last week. It'll dovetail a little bit into what we're looking at here this morning uh, in chapter 2. We'll be going up to verse 3. So if you guys don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? We have some ushers that would love to get you a Bible. So let's go ahead and read, and then we will pray, and then we'll get to work. It says this, verse 22, chapter 1. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and the abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all the glory like flower of grass. For the grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news that was preached to you. Now in chapter two, verse one. So put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, like newborn infants, Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow by it up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is the word of the Lord. So let me pray and we'll jump in. Jesus, thank you for who you are and the word of God that transforms us and is good and brings life to us and maturity to us right now. God, we ask you right now that you just help us to receive what it is that you have to speak to us here this morning. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So if you guys uh, had been listening to that, you probably would have picked up a couple of phrases that were repeated. And one of the things that, you know, I've said many, many times that whenever you read your Bibles, one of the things you want to pay attention to are repeated phrases or ideas or themes or concepts. And did anybody pick up on kind of a repeated phrase or word that we just read? Anybody? What'd you hear? What? Was there a phrase or a word that you heard? Okay, that's good. Grass, flower, anything else? Anybody? It's audience participation. You can't leave me up here. I look foolish. Anybody? Just kidding. All right. Anybody? You guys speak loud. I can't hear you. Word. Word. That's the word. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes, word. Uh, He uses the phrase word, the word of the Lord, the word of God. He uses it repeatedly, and as in chapter 2, verse 1, he also comes back and describes that. And one of the things that he wants you to understand is that the Word of God is, is likened to what he describes as pure spiritual milk. And he urges us to desire that, to long for that, like newborn children. So there's this maternal theme uh, and a childlike theme that he's saying, like, think about the word of God as something that brings nourishment to our lives. And so this is a theme that he wants for us to pick up and think about. And I think as I consider this passage here, I think the big theme that he's wanting for us to really consider is this idea of growth and maturity. Listen to the phrase again. He goes on to say, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that you might grow by it, that you might grow up into salvation, uh, grow into the salvation that has been given to you. I think the big idea that he's describing here is maturity, growing, growing up, advancing, if you want to think of it that way. Moving from point A to point B is the big idea. Progress. We can be throwing out words and adjectives all day long, but you get the idea. And what he's uh, linking it to is the way that we grow as followers of Jesus is there's certain things that we let go of or take off or unlearn. And then there's other things that we take on 
and grow into and learn and grow into. And this is what he's um, really advocating and trying to bring us into. The past few weeks, we've been looking at what I've just been describing as essentially the corporate culture of God's kingdom, of what does God's family look like. We've been using this idiom or analogy that every you know, major organization or institution has some form of a culture that it imbibes. That if you were to go out and get a job and work for like, you know, Twitter or Facebook or Starbucks or something like that, these are industries and organizations, by the way, which have been identified as having really good corporate cultures. Uh, we've been saying that at the same way, the church also embodies a particular culture. And what Peter's saying is that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a certain culture that you will embody. That you will let go of certain things, but then you will adopt and learn or inherit new way of being human being. And this is what he's describing. So what we've been looking at the past few weeks is really quick look at them very fast. Number one, uh, one of the ways in which you can identify a person that is part of God's family is they have hope. They've got hope in God as opposed to despair. Secondly, there's holiness in their conduct as opposed to just, you know, pure debauchery, right? That's a big idea. Thirdly, we see that they honor God or they have a fear of the Lord as opposed to just going through life, not even considering God. Um, a follower of Jesus lives their life oriented around asking the big question, would this honor God? Would this please God? Would this action or scrolling into this particular website or this particular idea or going about this particular way of life, would this honor God? Would this dishonor God? That's what a Christian does. They ask those bigger questions. Uh, fourthly, they have love for one another. And this is, these are all elements that are part of the corporate culture of God's family. Uh, well, as I was been reading through this passage as well as just going on forward, um, I've kind of a added two more, identified at least two more that I've noticed that are here in the text. So we'll look at, and they all also literated nicely by the way of the word H or the letter H. So I'll give you a couple more. Two more. We'll not look at this one next week. We'll look at this one next week, but look at this one today. Um, the fifth one is we see there's health, spiritual health. And this is what I think Peter's describing. Next week, we'll look at the idea of a household, the household of faith, or that's where he will take us next. It's a household. It's not a corporation. It's not an administration. It's not an organization. It's not a, it's not an army. It's a household. That's what the family of God looks like. These are elements that are all part of the corporate culture of God's kingdom. But what I want to focus on right now is the idea of spiritual health, because this seems to be what Peter is trying to say. Like, here's how you grow is you develop and cultivate a love for God's word. This is where the connection of health Growth, maturity, progress, and God's word kind of come full circle and come together. So I want us to think about this idea. Um, one of the things I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized the older I've gotten, the thing that ends up happening for all human beings that have bodies that we live in this world, the older you get, something unique takes place. Your metabolism slows down. You become more aware of potential elements that you might have food allergies or issues with food. And so one of the things that I, as well as my family have been doing over the past several years is doing like food panel tests and trying to figure out like, what are some foods that are maybe not good for you? What are some other foods that might be better for you? And it's been kind of extensive and problem solving and trying to figure certain things out. But one of the things that I've noticed in going to these doctors and doing some of these food testings is that there are definitely some foods that are not good for me, that 
cause sluggishness or don't make me feel good or could cause have other secondary problems that are not healthy for me. And so part of the process is dialoguing with the doctor and him asking me questions like, what are you eating? What does your diet look like? What types of foods are you putting into your body? What types of things are you avoiding? Those types of bigger questions. And one of the things that has kind of come back to me is, you know, over and over again is the realization of the need to eliminate that big food group that anything that ends with the word Eto's, like Doritos or Cheetos or Fritos or Taquitos or Brie. The idea is that some of these things are just not good for you and they're not healthy. And so when you devote yourself to simply eating or consuming things like that that are just consistent but not replacing with something that's better for you. I mean, the younger you are, the more prone you are to kind of create margin to just eat these types of things and you don't even really think anything about it. But the older you get, the more you realize like, oh my gosh, these are not healthy for me. They don't provide life and sustenance. In a lot of ways, this is kind of how, what Peter's describing. There are certain things that spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that if you consume, they will destroy you. If you eliminate from your life and you replace those with other things, what he'll describe as the word of God, it will bring about healthiness in your life. Now, again, we live on the central coast. I think the fact of the matter is, is being people that live here on the central coast, we realize that for the most part, we are a very healthy culture. For the most part, for the most part. I mean, it's pretty commonplace to see people wearing like yoga pants and workout clothes. It's, that's common attire nowadays, right? Because we are constantly just a culture that's like working out, drinking green smoothies and doing whatever. I mean, how many of you are still frustrated and a little bit embittered because Natural Cafe is no longer around on the Central Coast? I am, right? The fact of the matter is, is like these are things that we as a culture find ourselves like dealing with here on the Central Coast. And what I think Peter's describing is that on the one hand, especially for us as a culture, we can be very focused on eating healthy and living a healthy lifestyle. Yet the question is, is how much of that does that translate over into our spiritual health? So we can focus on working out or going on a hike or mountain biking or eating good, clean food, um, organic, all natural, locally grown processed food and all that type of stuff. But how much of that does that translate over into our spiritual life? Are we equally concerned about how we are doing spiritually? Are we focused on eating the right things spiritually and avoiding those things that actually bring disease? Like disease meaning dis-ease. No, not having ease in your life. The opposite of that, brokenness, death, destruction. And this is what I think Peter's describing. is bringing us into this understanding. So all I want to do today is I want to focus on two specific things that I think Peter wants for us to pay attention to. Number one is what he describes as guarding ourselves from these things. So number one, things that we will have to, if we are concerned about spiritual health, we have to guard ourselves from. Number two, those things that we are to guide ourselves into, guide ourselves into. So guarding ourselves from certain things and then guiding ourselves into something else. God bless you. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to jump in to begin to take a look at what are the things that Peter is saying, guard yourself from these things. Pay attention. There are certain traits and mindsets and ideas and thoughts and emotions that if you give space to these, if you consume them, if you make them a part of your lifestyle, they will actually bring deep brokenness and spiritual unhealth to your life. So what are those? 
Let's go back and take a look at the passage of text in verse 1, again, of chapter 2. He says this. He goes on to say, he says, So put away malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. So we'll just pause right there. So the big five that he describes, put away these things. Guard yourself from these things. In other words, this is like spiritual junk food. It's readily available. It's part of, you know, again, that's, I think it was one of the reasons why junk food is so pervasive and, pop, and popular is because it's just everywhere. You can buy it anywhere and everywhere, and it's really, really cheap. But in the long run, if you build your life upon that, build your habits on that, at some point that will begin to have devastation over your physical well-being. And what he's also saying is that these emotions or these emotional traits, that if you indulge in these things over a period of time, they will begin to bring devastation to your soul. So he says to guard yourself or to use the phrase that he describes here is to put off. This phrase is a common New Testament phrase. I'll just give you a couple examples of this. So Ephesians chapter 4, Paul the Apostle says in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 22, he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and that is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he goes on to say, be renewed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, he says, Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Therefore put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. In other words, a very similar list of what Peter describes here. But what I want you to notice is that he's inviting us to think about putting off this idea of discipline, this idea of having an active mindset that says, I will aggressively, not passively, aggressively think about what are these areas in my life that are actually harmful and destructive to me in order to put them off. And I think this is what Peter's call, calling us to understand. Now, I'll take a look at each one of these five, and then we'll move on to the very next thing. Number one, he describes malice. So what are each one of these? Malice. What is malice? Malice is basically ill will. It's complaining about others. It's what we would call in modern nomenclature, this is the classic Chad slash Karen. This is the person that's constantly complaining about everything, right? They're looking for anything and everything to just simply complain about. Malice. Um, how do you know that you have malice? Well, one of the chiefest ways of identifying whether or not you have malice is how do you feel when someone else um, bad hap- something bad happens to them? If you celebrate, like, hey, they got cancer. That's amazing. They got fired from their job. Praise God. Like, th- that's malice. It's this idea of just celebrating over ill will of somebody else. Or what happens if somebody else gets something that you have longed for? Maybe they get the promotion. Maybe they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They have a child that's healthy. Or they buy a house or something good happens to them. How do you feel? Do you get angry? Do you get upset? It's malice. And what he's suggesting is that malice is something that will actually eat at your soul. I mean, we see malice in a lot of ways even happening within our world today where it's kind of this disdain, this this, this inner disdain looking at somebody else. They don't have a mask on? Ugh. They have a mask on? What an idiot. Either one. You can take your pick. It's this idea. And again... It's not to say that there's not good reason to have emotional uh, response to some of these things, but I'm suggesting is that when that disdain, that malice has root in your soul, it begins to do something to you. It shapes you. It shapes the type of person you're becoming. You are consuming a diet that is actually destructive to your mental and emotional well-being. That's what he's saying. So therefore, he's saying put off 
malice. That's what malice is. Then he says deceit moves on. What is deceit? In fact, the actual Hebrew or the Greek word that's used here for deceit um, literally means to bait a hook. Um, so it's a fishing term. So if you are a fisher person out there and you've done something like that, you realize like that's the idea of deceit. What's the idea behind deceit or baiting a hook is you're, you're deceiving. You're, you're hiding this hook um, under the guise of a worm or whatever it is that you put on a hook. But the big idea here is it's, it's deception. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But the point of the matter is, what is deception? What is deceit? It's skewing the facts. It's spinning a story. It's story. It's presenting someone with the worst possible light, presenting somebody within that worst possible scenario. It's this idea of just creating a really, really negative connotation upon somebody. Um, it's this idea that uh, within our culture today if, of constantly just finding something wrong with somebody else, uh, deceit. And then ultimately living our lives in such a way where we're trying to deceive other people. This is what he's just saying is that don't live. When you live in a lifestyle that's trying to deceive somebody, it will ultimately have negative benefits upon your emotional and physical and spiritual state is really what he's describing. Uh, thirdly, he describes hypocrisy. Hypocrisy literally comes from a Greek term to basically wear a mask. Um, and it comes from the theater world of back in the day that when you were to be uh, an actor, um, oftentimes ancient plays, they didn't have like massive cast, they had a small cast. And so uh, the actors would come up there behind a little mask and you would change masks. You'd go backstage, you change the mask, you'd come back out with another mask and then you'd play that role. And the big idea is that he's saying is that in culture in large, I think it's an apt description that we as human beings, we can oftentimes wear these masks where we pretend to be something that we're ultimately not. Um, otherwise known as the Greek word for that is social media, right? This idea, this place that we go, that we pretend that we are actually somebody other than we truly are. And what he's suggesting is that this is part of the problem in our world today. You're trying to fit in. You're trying to make moral compromises within your life in order to fit in. You're a shapeshifter. You're a grifter. In other words, you are trying to do something in order to be accepted or to be found acceptable by somebody else. And at some point, if you ever lived in this state, in fact, all of us have at some point lived in this state, the reality is at some point it's exhausting to constantly be trying to be somebody that you're really not in order to like appease somebody else. And it, what he's basically saying is that as you live in this way, it's better to put these things off, to take them off like an old garment, to dispel yourself of these things. Fourthly, he describes envy. And this is the idea of jealousy. Um, as you look around, this idea of longing for something, desiring something, craving something that somebody else has. That's what envy is. I think one of the breeding grounds for envy is social media, right? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, some of these other social media elements. Um, one of the things that obviously all social media has in common for the most part is it has a visual picture. And the big idea behind the visual picture is it's stimulating. And it creates these cravings in you that says they've got something that you are probably going to want. And it's one of the reasons why we keep drawing back to that. It's like, it's like we're sucked into this thing, this vortex of longing, and we can't get out of it. It's almost like we're stuck in this place where we don't know how to 
unwind or remove ourselves from this place because we're like locked in by the sense of desire. I want to know what the next photo is. I want to know what the other thing is I, I, I want that I don't have currently. Or I'm curious to know who does this person, who are they hooking up with now? Who are they with? What do they have that I don't have? That's what envy is. And he's saying that when we live our lives in such a way where we're constantly feeding and cultivating envy inside of us, what will that, what that will do will ultimately lead to a sense of spiritual disease. Uh, I think social media, again, obviously is a breeding ground for this. As you think about this, as we scroll through like Instagram and whatnot, social, other forms of social media, what are the things that you and I oftentimes are envious of? Audience participation time. You guys speak up. What are some of the things that we're, we have the tendency to be envious of? Anything? Vacations, yes. They get to go to, you know, Mexico and we don't. How dare they, right? What else? Vacations. What, are we, what else are we envious of? Houses. They got to buy a house. We can't. We're still renting. Yeah? I'm sorry? The lottery. <laughs> what else? What else are we envious of? What else? Clothes. They got nice clothes. We don't. They got something that looks really good. I shop at Walmart. How happy they appear. What else? Good job. Keep going. Food. They got good food. I mean, Taco Bell. They got the fancy camper van. Right. You get all these ideas. So at the end of the day, the big idea is this, is it cultivates a heart of envy. Lastly, he uses the word slander. This is the idea of speaking negatively of somebody else. Social shaming, gossip, backbiting, rumor mill. Um, again, the Greek word for this actually, ironically, is TMZ. It's the big idea is that these gossip places that we go to, that we get this latest bit of information about somebody. And so here's my big question for you. Is social media the breeding ground for all of this? In fact, would it be possible to say that social media is basically the breeding ground for all of this? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. I think, I think it's safe to say that this is exactly what's happening in our world today. This is the place that we can go, that if we spend time there regularly, frequently feasting, consuming the content that comes from these places, it will actually be this creative product production of more malice, more deceit, more hypocrisy, more envy, more slander, and at the end of the day, way more levels of anxiety and stress and futility and meaninglessness and brokenness and shame and guilt and failure. So I think all of these things form the basis of social media. And I would even go so far as to say that if your daily liturgy, and you use the phrase, a religious term, liturgy, in other words, your daily practice, your daily rhythms of life include high consumption of social media, and it's not counterbalanced by anything else, social media, any other form of media, Netflix, if your regular steady diet consists of these, at some point it will breed a deep level of anxiety and disease in your soul. And I mean disease meaning disease, no longer having a sense of rest or peace. 
So how do we combat this? What's the alternative? And this is exactly what I think Peter is suggesting, is that take off these things, rid yourself from these things, strip these things off, or at least greatly limit them or cultivate them or curate them within your life. In other words, if they are part of your life, at least have a healthy awareness of how much they are a part of your life and how much they are part of shaping your emotional and spiritual landscape. And then in the replacement of them, he says to verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word long for this so that you might grow in your salvation. In other words, the salvation that Jesus has given to you so that you can cultivate a heart for life and peace and hope is what Peter's saying. It's all part of that corporate culture. So the fact is, I think Peter's suggesting is that as we guide ourselves into a deeper desire of God's word, that will reshape us. And in closing, what I want for us just to think about is that this is something that we can do. Now, you might in your life right now kind of look at your landscape and say, I don't really read the Bible a lot. I don't even really want to read the Bible a lot. It's not even a part of my landscape right now. But one of the things I've discovered over the years is that you can actually train yourself to like certain things, right? How many of you have actually maybe changed your diet throughout your life? Maybe out of pure necessity, you've had to change your diet. Like I've known people that have been diagnosed later in life as, as diabetics, and they've had to change their diet. It's like it's a life or death situation where you have to figure out a way to eat better. Otherwise, you know, you'll, you'll die if you don't. And so I think for many of us, it's, it's a matter of like luxury. We don't have to. But what I think Peter is inviting us into is recognize there are certain habits, certain proclivities, certain um, liturgies that we have a, that are part of our life. And we're not aware to what degree that they are the actual culprit of anxiety in our soul. And what he's suggesting is that as we divest ourselves from these things and then invest ourselves in a better, healthier way of life, we can cultivate, we can learn to nurture uh, a healthy appetite for that which is good. And this is what he's saying, is that that which is good is God's word. So what is scripture? And bottom line, this is what he's inviting us into, is to involve our lives into a healthy practice of consuming not deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and malice, but to consume God's word like newborn children that long for the word of God. And what he's suggesting is that scripture really is this life source. So what is scripture? In short, scripture is a library of writings that are both divine and human that all tell this unified story that leads to the salvation that God brings through Jesus. That's what the Bible is. It's this unified story, all pointing to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. That's what it is. That's why we, that's why we love the scriptures, because it points to Jesus. One of the things that I, and again, I can spend a lot of time talking about this, but I'm not because it's hot, and I don't want you guys to melt in the sun, and I'll be done in just a second here, is I want you to think about is, again, I can spend a lot of time thinking about why the scripture is so important, why it's something that we should devote ourselves to. But out of all of that, I just want to point to one person in particular and just say, because Jesus himself devoured scripture, Jesus, when you look at Jesus, he reads scripture, he studies scripture, he memorized scripture, he obeyed it, he patterned his life around it. It went far beyond for Jesus something that was just interesting literature. Jesus was not a skeptic of scripture. He was not um, 
dismembering his faith in scripture. He was not dismantling. He was not uh, walking away. He was completely devoted to what the scripture had to say. In fact, what you would find in the life of Jesus is that Jesus would oftentimes say things like this. He said, God said, then he would go directly to a quote from Moses. Or he would say, and the Lord spoke, and he would directly quote from, uh, from, uh, from the Psalms, from like David. So what Jesus saw was that even though this Old Testament was written or authored by Moses or David or whoever else, he saw this as this collective story that was from God himself. And Jesus feasted off of the scripture. His entire life was framed around scripture. And so what I would suggest to you, if right now in your life, you look at the scripture and think that's archaic, it's ridiculous, it's silly, it's questionable, it's highly suspect. I get it. We live in a culture today that trains us, cultivates us, uh, encourages us to have nothing but cynicism and questions toward the Bible. I get it. It's our world we live in. But my... My number one appeal to you right now is just think about the life of Jesus. Jesus loved scripture, devoted himself to it. And as followers of Jesus, that we might still have lots of questions about scripture. We might even be radically confused by scripture. That's okay. But what we're committing to is to Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we're basically saying, I will follow Jesus in seeking to live my life according to what the word of God teaches and says and prescribes and describes. And this is what Peter, I think, is saying, is that really we have these choices of either investing ourselves into the elements that are part of this world, which is deceit and envy and, and, and malice, or we can divest ourselves from those things because they only lead to even more anxiety and brokenness, or invest ourselves into the ways of God. This is what my invitation for all of us is to really consider and think about. What are you feasting upon? Where is your spiritual health right now? Where do you want it to be? So as we close, I'm going to have Nick come on up. We'll finish with a song. How about we all stand? And again, if you are melting right now, this is your perfect opportunity to come under the shade. I'm telling you, it feels really good in here. And we're going to partake of communion together. So if you would like to receive communion, our ushers will hand out the communion elements. So please feel free to uh, receive that. And then we will partake together as soon as we're done singing. But I want to invite you right now to reflect, to ask yourself, where are you emotionally, spiritually? What's the condition of your soul? Is it filled with cynicism, malice, anger, envy, bitterness? I'm fighting bitterness right now because of that, but it's all good. Just kidding. And I want to invite you to think about what Jesus offers. He offers a new way of being human by trusting in him in the words that he speaks. Again, it doesn't mean that you're going to not have questions and you're not going to have confusions to work through, but it means that you are making this devotion that says, I will commit myself to Jesus and to follow him. And even though there might be things that might not make sense or things that might feel very, very incongruent with how I've come to see the world, as disciples of Jesus were essentially saying, I will follow him in the life that he gives. So 
I'm going to pray. We'll sing. We'll take communion together, and we'll dismiss you guys. Jesus, thank you for your love, and we even now.